Hello, movie truthers. Welcome to this week's episode of Truth and Movies. I'm Leila Latif. I'm David Jenkins. And I'm Campbell A. Campbell. On the show this week, it's a James Cameron special. First, his latest film, with the long-delayed sequel arriving in time for Christmas, it's Avatar The Way of Water. Then it's Double James Cameron Film Club, with David and Campbellet having chosen two more James Cameron films for discussion, so we'll be looking at Aliens and Terminator. All coming up on Truth and Movies, a Little White Lies podcast. So, Cambalay, very excited to have you here. You were actually uh, the person that was on my first ever Truth and Movies episode. Which- yes. Um, I'm trying to remember which one that was. I, it might have been a Shyamalan one. No, it was it was Queen and Slim, <laughs> sadly. Oh, God. No, that's terrible. <laughs> great for us, but not a great movie. Yeah, we, we, we were kind of naysayers on that one. It was quite popular and, and I was kind of felt immediately comfortable because you hated it too. <laughs> I have all but uh, obliterated that movie from my memory. I, I just remember the worst cross-cutting sex scene of all time. Like, after watching that movie, I was just like, man, Munich wasn't really that bad after all. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast. So for people that are maybe more recent listeners, could you explain who you are and what you do? Who I am? That's a big question. But for now, I'm a film critic and freelance freelance writer in general. I've written a bit for the site. I write a lot about animation in other places as well. Yeah, that's me really. And also I'm a programmer now because I did some of that for Scotland Loves Anime in the past month. So a little bit of everything. This isn't quite animation, but it, it, it's not far off so it's great to have your expertise but I'm, I'm wondering what you guys think it's not only that Cameron's back but uh 3D is back I mean is that something that you welcome yeah I think it's funny that it became such a massive sort of technological fad that then everyone decided that they wanted nothing to do with because they didn't want to bother actually filming for it specifically like it became something of an afterthought so I stopped caring about it as well but when I heard that Avatar 2 became more of a thing and it had, I started becoming curious about it again. Things like Ang Lee's experiments with HFR 3D have also interested me over the years because I feel like I'm just always interested in new screen technologies anyway. But it's hard to get excited about it when no one has actually really cared about it themselves on the filmmaking side. So I'm here and there on it. <laughs> it depends on the user. David, what about you? You welcoming back our 3D overlords? Um, side of things, I don't massively enjoy as a glasses wearer, I don't enjoy double glasses uh, watching a, watching a movie. You know, I, I'm, I'm open to it. I feel that like it, it's rare that you watch a movie that's 3D and feel that like the 3D isn't being used as some kind of like aesthetic crutch to sort of fill in the gaps for other aspects. Maybe, you know, we'll come on to Avatar The Way of Water in a bit, but like my favourite 3D film, the one that I really feel offered the, the most seamless blending of story and aesthetic was the film Dread from 2012. I don't know if either of you saw it. I absolutely love it. And, and, and I'm one of those people like hankering for a sequel. And I think Carl Urban recently said that it might be on the cards, but it was so simple what they did. They had like Anthony Dodd-Mantle doing the, 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 uh, doing the cinematography and he filmed all these like super slow-mo shots. And it turns out that doing super slow-mo in 3D is like the perfect combination. Like, because it was a kind of druggy film as well. There was all these kind of like druggy interludes. And it was, and yeah, that's it. The drug slows down your perception. It was just this perfect merge of like, of, of, of visuals and, and, and story. Um, yeah, absolutely love that film. 3D is okay for me, but as long as there's another Dread movie with Anthony Dodd Mantle 
photographing it. There's also been some artists outside of like the action and sci-fi field who've been doing interesting things with it, but I'm trying to, I'm struggling to remember the name of the Bygan movie, which I didn't get to see. Long Day's Journey Into Night. Yes, yeah. and it has that um, huge single take bit in the second half where it's all in, or yeah. in the first half and it's all in 3D, but I never got to see it because I wanted to see it that way. And there was one screening. <laughs> it's pretty good. I'm not, I'm, I, I wouldn't say that film was ma- like the, the 3D aspect of that film was like the most memorable aspect of it. Like it's like a long take where you go on a, like back and forth on various chair lifts. That, that, that aspect of it is more interesting than the 3D, to be honest. But yeah, no, it's, in, it, it, I think it's interesting to see like a, a proper, hardcore art house film doing 3d i don't know i wonder whether it's going to be like the the new craze again and do we know if there's any more 3d films in the pipeline bar avatar 3 i just got to assume that these cinemas need to make some return on their investment in all the glasses that they'll have purchased um in order for this to happen but no i haven't really heard about any kind of things being retroactively being put into 3d or anything like that Maybe a new Clash of the Titans film. Will, they'll hash one of those out to put the glasses to use. Dread 2 is going to get us back into the, <laughs> all of this. History yeah. repeats itself. I mean, it's it, it's Sam Worthington, I think, too, is a much better actor than people give him credit for. I say that because I've only I've not seen the Clash of the Titans films, but I love the Kate Shortland film that he did when he was he was a lot younger. He's not coming out of this well. It does seem most reviews seem to like take the opportunity to have a dig at poor old Sam Worthington. That's interesting. He he is the poster boy for modern 3D, isn't he? Like he is he will forever be associated with the with this craze. <laughs> I just um the other day I I kind of lovingly called him the uh, thinking man's Jai Courtney, but <laughs> but I think wow. it's probably a bit brutal than that. <laughs> well, we should get a move on to the review itself where we can kind of discuss the merits of Sam Worthington and whether or not he's the thinking man's Jai Courtney. So, yeah, let's get on to Avatar: The Way of Water. <laughs> Join our community of film lovers by becoming a Little White Lies member. You'll receive exclusive perks and an insider's view into the world of Little White Lies while directly supporting our independent film journalism. Search Little White Lies membership via your search engine and click through to the Steady HQ page for a detailed breakdown of our plans. Now on to the movies. Set more than a decade after the events of the first film, Avatar The Way of Water tells the story of the Sully family, the trouble that follows them, the lengths that they go to keep each other safe, and the battles that they fight to stay alive, with tragedies that they endure. So, Campbellay, it's been 13 years since the last Avatar film. I think this was supposed to come out maybe three or four years after the first one, but, you know, James Cameron needed to take his time with all this underwater technology. For you, was it worth the wait? Yes, but in a sense, I haven't been waiting as long as everybody else because I only saw the first Avatar for the first time on re-release because I remember I missed the boat on the first one. And even even then, I was just like, yeah, big cinematic experience. I think I'm going to save this for the next time it hits cinemas and consciously made that decision to never watch it unless it was in a theatre and that decision paid off dividends for me. I, I really enjoyed it on that re-release. So then I became excited for The Way of Water. So I feel like my sort of period of excitement has been a little bit shorter than everybody else. That was when I really kind of got out the James Cameron foam finger. And (laughs) yeah, I think this one I found a lot more satisfying than the first in a lot of ways, actually. I was surprised by how much I actually cared about 
the family unit itself because the first avatar is not something thing you go to and think like man i wonder what uh jake sully's gonna get up to next <laughs> but i i think it drew a very nice a fairly old-fashioned kind of family story i liked that it marries its kind of goofy uh new age sci-fi with some pretty earthbound family dynamics like they have meetings and there's like the rebellious disappointment son and the favorite and the kind of more innocent precocious one all of that stuff kind of just landed really well for me there's some visual aspects that i think were a mixed bag but i guess we can all get into that david there's um there's kind of a term for avatar the being like this forget buster where this was like this huge huge film made more money than anything ever but kind of didn't have a cultural impact like was that the case for you did you kind of have strong feelings about the first avatar were you anticipating this new one yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I, I did see the first one on its release. And I mean, I'm, I'm still kind of absolutely, you know, bewildered by, by its success. Not because I thought it, I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't like the first one when I saw it. That wasn't the reason that I, why I was bewildered though, because I, I just kind of thought this is such an odd idiosyncratic movie. And James Cameron gives you a lot of reasons to maybe not like the movie or have, or, or create criticisms about it. And I kind of thought, well, that, you know, that may, maybe, maybe this is going to be a sort of moderate hit, but maybe, you know, more of a sort of folly. And that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I find it fascinating that like it, it did all this, it, all this business and it did amazingly well and huge box office. And, you know, I think it was, it was one of the sort of first films that really a, a, pure, a kind of global success. It, it, it had been very, very purposely engineered to culturally connect with a lot of different territories which not a lot of films do and and i think that's that's a a much bigger and quite kind of controversial subject in 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 many ways but like cameron very purposely with it with these two avatar films goes quite soft and broad on politics and cultural referencing and they're both super super earnest and so for me that's like you know that's not a creative calculation that's a financial one and, and it has and it has paid off for him I mean, maybe, maybe I, I, I'm just blind to this, but like in the in the sort of intervening years, it just like there was just this void of of Avatar. Like everyone, everyone had memories of the film, but like you know, there was no sort of toy spin-offs or or you know, there wasn't people weren't talking about Avatar. And then and then you had this this second cycle where it's like, oh, the new there's two more Avatars coming, and then it was the same kind of exactly the same tenor of groaning that came for the first one. So it makes me think that like maybe. It it would. Campbell, has there been a sort of like cultural spin-off of Avatar in the in those years that has sort of kept the flame the blue flame alive? I think to me the cultural impact thing or like that everyone memory holds Avatar feels a little bit overstated because I mean it's definitely a film that people think about and they're just like, Oh yeah, that was a good time. It just feels like to me that it's not as aggressively merchandised as kind of what we're used to now in the time since. In its kind of wake, we've had uh, the MCU kind of take everything over and whenever one of those comes out it's all anyone talks about for the next year stuff and it just it's that kind of kind of aggressive like continuation of all of that stuff feels a lot louder to me than something like Avatar where everyone went to see it at Shrugged and was like that was a really good time <laughs> um, I think there's definitely co- kind of quieter impacts from it like the way that cinemas treated digital projection in its wake and then there's conversations about the use of 3d and i imagine that people might take another crack at high frame rate 3d again after this like i imagine angley is just like kind of rubbing his hands together <laughs> after this one I, I sometimes think about the fact in relation to this that there's that parks and rec episode where the uh, loud gardener 
played by Andy Samberg, starts yelling about Avatar. And he's just like, have you seen Avatar? I thought it was so great. I think that's just how people really... (laughs) I just think that's how people really see it. I don't know that anyone would particularly be wanting to remake it rather than kind of springboard off of Jim Cameron's uh, sort of technophilia. (laughs) Like, he just loves something new. And I think that kind of galvanizes people to act the same about it. I I found myself really admiring that the one thing that did spin off for me is that really funny SNL sketch about like why is the Avatar logo just papyrus and he sticks with it it's still papyrus and like things are introduced with there's more papyrus in this well I think that's that's the I think double double down I think is key to understanding Avatar 2 the way of water because like whichever side of the fence you fall on it there is something just crazy about how he has really just rejected any criticism no i don't think he rejected just ignored and 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 he he's really kind of just put all his chips on the table and and everything about the first film has been ramped up for better and for worse i feel there is something about it even though i did not like the film at all there is something about it that is is laudable on that in that level where you you know you have this you know maybe megalomaniac who who, who is going ahead with his building his folly and and he's he's been allowed to do it, and there are people who are who are laying down cash to to underwrite his vision. And there, there, there is, I get, I have this vision of the of 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 the world that you don't see in the film. The spectacle of this film is is the imagining how it was actually made, rather than the film itself. Like it's quite kind of like you 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 can't almost. I I, I can't. I just can't get my head around how this film was made. You know, not not on a kind of like day-to-day technical filming level but like the committee stage shall we say i do think there's plenty of spectacle in the film itself though i think uh, i was kind of blown away by how much detail there is just not just on screen and it's kind of rendering of uh, this new part of pandora but also anatomically and like ethnographically if that's a uh the right yeah. way to say it but it's just like it's very uh, like deeply concerned with kind of um cultural and physical difference <laughs> between the navi and it was just like the way that they kind of got start jumping into how the uh reef dwelling ones have these different eyes the like kind of lighter hue of blue to camouflage better in the ocean and the like the kind of big tails which they kind of emphasize a bit harder like all of that sort of world building detail started becoming really uh winsome for me because i think there's a lot of stories being told even when they're not set talking about it on screen Things like the mechanical design really stood out to me. Like, I'm kind of a huge mech nerd anyway. Like, I love things like Mobile <laughs> Suit Gundam, but so I was obviously like watching out for the big robots. But it's things like how their submarine craft like kind of looked like crabs or the uh, on land ones looking like spiders, like kind of reflected the uh, sort of human colonists sort of bastardizing the relationships between the Navi and like kind of the animals on the planet. So there's just like things like that, which I thought were really fun and quite engaging in the moment. Even though I, do, I definitely do think, like with the underwater photography, I was just like, what, what, "Like, how did they? <laughs> how did they? How did he convince everyone to spend so long, like down there?" And I, I think the the payoff is kind of worth it because I think the underwater photography looks incredible. But it, it's uh, deeply unfortunate for the recent Black Panther movie that it came out like last month mm-hmm. because, by comparison, it just looks so just murky and uninteresting. Whereas here, you're kind of just like, there's a lot more to look at, and I think as much as I was mixed on the high frame rate 3D because of how video gaming it looks in like big portions of it. I think it also did help me sift through a lot of like the visual information that's going on there. I was just interested to know what everyone thought about the 3D itself. For me, when we're underwater, I think 
there's like a viscosity to the water and a brightness, which I did think was very impressive. But I, I don't know if it's the high frame rate. I don't know if there's something wrong with my eyes or my brain. But when we were on land, I, I, I found it incredibly unsettling. Everything seemed to move too fast and too slow at the same time. And to be honest, I wonder, because I haven't seen, I haven't revisited Avatar, you know, purposefully, because I wanted to come into this, like, you know, most people would do having not seen it for for about a decade. I, I really struggled to make hide or hair of what was going on. On a on a basic level, I did not understand people's motives. James Cameron, for all that he kind of, he does seem to have a level of arrogance which does serve him in some ways as a filmmaker presumes you really do remember every detail of the first Avatar film in order to comprehend just like the basics of this which I did not. I think it recaps quite a lot. It's got a very heavy, what I, I think it was, um, Justin Chang called it this sort of like, it's something like, like noir gumshoe parody voiceover from Sam Worthington uh, talking about what happened in the time since the first one. But you've also literally, quite literally got Quaritch, the villain from the first one, now kind of reborn as an avatar, like watching his own death from the first movie. I think that it does sometimes kind of thuddingly and sometimes fairly efficiently. Like I thought it, it kept you up to date on what you needed to know. I don't know. I don't know that there was actually a lot that was specific to the first one, apart from the fact that there is um, a, like a religious planet spirit that they all worship. I felt like a lot of it, the stuff that was going on was fairly like contained apart from the fact that Jake was the Marine guy in the last one, which they do talk about in the beginning. Um, there's a lot of stuff here that I thought was moving fairly I don't know. Well, my assumption is just like this big company is doing colonialism, right? And then kind of by the time we get to the end of the first act, it's established that like, no, we don't, all you other blue people, absolutely fine, live your best lives. It's this one guy. This is actually a revenge <laughs> plot against this one Sam Worthington. And then quite late in, they just throw in that there's this substance from Wales that reverses aging. And yeah, I kind of struggled to grasp what it was that actually these people wanted. My take on the, on, on both Avatar films, and I think they both have this kind of chronic failing to them, that's very sort of like right that deep down in the sort of marrow of the film. I find the story so hacky and, and unbelievable. Like, I, I feel that there is this kind of push and pull of James Cameron building this film in which his, his key motivation is immersion in a world. You know, he's doing everything on a technical and formal level to drag you into, into Pandora, keep you there and make you feel as if you are there with experiencing these things with these, these people. And there is so much, like experiential stuff in the film and and my my problem is like you know in the first one i just there, there is this there is this whole idea of jake sully is you know he it is the concept of the avatar jake sully is human character who is kind of having his um soul or spirit implanted into the body of a navi which means he's able to interact with this community and they are very aware of that fact and yet they invite him in and let him become part of their community even though a lot of bad shit happens and the in the first film you're like well you deserved this you know this is you brought this on yourself you you know you trusted this person that you knew would that you thought came bearing gifts and it's just crazy to me that this second film is hinged on the same disastrous idea of like a, a community welcoming in an outsider who they know is eventually going to bring their downfall i mean he should he would know as well I mean, I think it'd be interesting talking when we go back to talk about 
Terminator and Aliens because I think that Cameron as a sort of like narrative storyteller works best when things are stripped right back to the bone and it is about kind of process action just just it's it's a kind of it's a very very simple mathematical sum whereas with with these Avatar films that there just feels like there's like on on the writing and character level there are these major major like thinking bits missing justifications like and and i think it's a different it's it's hard because i i think like i sound like a chump from being like oh i can't enjoy this this multi multi-million dollar film that is doing so much stuff and so much razzmatazz for this silly like plot issue but i feel it's it's like i think i I feel like to, to 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 let stuff like that slide it's so fundamental to what cinema and movie making and storytelling and being given that passport to the world and really allowing you to, to be, feel comfortable inside it that neither of these films deserve, in my opinion. So it's, it's infuriating. It's, it, you know, I, I really want, I love the idea of James Cameron. I want to love him. And I do love many of his early films, but, you know, he's both Avatar films. The plot feels like an afterthought. That's my that's my hot hotish take. You said you said that it works better when it's, things are stripped to the bone, and if I guess you just mean like pure logistics in terms of like the action. But I think the first one is pretty straightforward. I know people like to call it uh, Blue Dancers with Wolves, but it's sort of like um, decolonialization plot is kind of the whole and Romeo and Juliet sort of love story in the middle it's kind of just those two pretty uh purely like pretty two pretty pure motivations there which i thought worked in its favor because that's a very visually busy film and it's introducing you to all of these things <laughs> uh, like i thought i thought that one's fairly just like streamlined in a way that it in my eyes benefited it this one is a lot busier but i thought that kind of worked for me as well when it's it takes that long middle stretch with the teenagers who I actually kind of, who I actually found really charming. Some of them are like kind of like these 90s movie hangovers, like where it's like you've got like the very I don't know, you've got it just feels very winningly old fashioned to me. Do you know what do you know what it reminded me of? It made me think, ah, James Cameron is he has not had any interaction with anyone below 50 for like the entire period that he's been making this film and and probably the entire period he was making Avatar as well. These kids are like 1950s conception of like oh yeah kids still do that stuff don't they? Yeah, there's still monkey shines and <laughs> Fair, fair play, fair play. I think the sort of cornball writing works in its favour for me because it's just so it's so goofy and so sentimental in a way that I think a lot of American blockbusters just don't allow themselves to be at the moment. It could be a case of the bar being lowered a lot for me writing-wise, but at the same time, I'm just like kind of glad that it's putting itself out there in that way and that it's very unabashedly sincere about one of the like dorkiest uh, concepts that there could be even though there's like a lot of cultural detail and I, I, I loved seeing these uh different like see people with like the sort of very maori inspired like tribal tattoos but at the same time it's just like the, the all of the very like kind of hippie new age like environmentalist like stuff about the whales are the most intelligent creatures on the planet like we've got to protect them and like just like this very like very simplistic very open-hearted uh element to it i'm just like 
this is like all of his a lot of this is like a bunch of his films wrapped into one like you got a little you got a little bit of titanic at the end you got a little bit of sort of relentless terminator hunting you've got the sort of uh, aliens militarism but kind of flipped around in that the u.s military in this are just like mustache twirling maniacs <laughs> like yeah i think it's edie falco's character who all but like kind of rubs her hands together with glee like we're, like, we're going to pacify the local population <laughs> again having that point of view after a entire decade of the kind of biggest movies in the world being basically these like kind of very sinister low-key propaganda tools for the u.s military like kind of smuggling positive like u.s military sentiment into uh mainstream entertainment for the 10 years in avatar's absence it's very nice to have potentially the next biggest movie in the world come in and just kind of just be like no this um not cool <laughs> are we the bad guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, gone on that quite simple level. I think I th- I do find that stuff quite emotionally satisfying. I do think that when it comes to Cameron's writing, I do think he definitely has a problem when it comes to writing women. Like I I kind of had the light bulb go on when rewatching The Terminator and Aliens. I was just like, just every every lead who's a woman in his movies is a mother of some kind. Even like the teenagers in this are kind of maternal, and it's like he doesn't seem to know or really take interest in writing anyone any other way. It's like sure, like I do enjoy Nateri when she goes into kind of lioness mode and having her be the kind of fiercest most dangerous warrior out there is fun in a kind of old-fashioned like lady badasses kind of way you kind of it becomes very homogenous in that respect but then he also just kind of sidelines her and from a lot of this film anyway so that's like a thing that was kind of knocking around at the back of my head while i was watching this and then when i was watching re-watching his old films it's just like it's not it's not he doesn't really ever take criticism and just sort of doubles down on the thing that he's doing and in some ways i think that really works like gangbusters for me and in, in some like these are these are complaints that kind of just got overruled by everything else i liked in the film but in some ways yeah that doubling down was not for the better i was not a fan of their sort of sexy maternal teens with their sort of FHM kind of dangling halter tops. Yeah, I I, I find that kind of like to be fair, unsettling. everyone in this movie was practically naked. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I, there was just something, I mean, I guess it's the old fashioned thing of like, there was something about them that seemed very like 2006 cover of Nuts magazine to be. Yeah, well, you know, he is what he is. <laughs> James Cameron is only getting more James Cameron-y. But yeah, we should get some scores on this because we've got more James Cameron to get onto. Campbell Age, you want to start? Let's kind of start with a high in anticipation, enjoyment and in retrospect. I think I'm four for anticipation. It would have been a three before, but then I rewatched the first one and then it kind of shot up because I saw the um, preview as well. And I was just like that. That water looks real good. I'm enjoyment five. I was kind of sitting, I was watching this with Hannah and we were both just kind of hooting at everything. There is a moment when Kate Winslet says of a whale, she was a composer of songs. And it, and it was like the moment landed for me both earnestly and in a way that I just thought was really just surreally funny. And I was, that's at the point where I was just like, this film can kind of do no wrong for me. <laughs> so yeah, enjoyment five. In retrospect, four, because of like kind of aforementioned like nagging things about kind of continual quirks of James Cameron's writing and because the HFR 3D did like while it made a lot of uh, scenery a lot clearer and easier for me to sift through in terms of like just how busy the film is visually, th- I don't I don't think it's like fully cracked it. It, it has that sort of video gamey like syntheticness, especially on land, as you said. And there's ways to go with it, but I appreciate its technical ambition. David, you you appreciate James Cameron's technical ambition. You want to love him, but did you love this film? What are your scores? No, I didn't. I mean, I I I've reviewed it on the Little White Lies site, so you could you can and I and I cover some other gripes in there but like 
Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I, my anticipation was quite high because I actually loved a film that he produced recently called Elita Battle Angel, which that is a film that I find very pure and the sort of sentimental aspect of it works really well. And, and 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 so I think my excitement levels for Avatar were raised a little bit, but yeah, it 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 just I feel stung in exactly the same ways that I was stung by the first one, and and I just can't imagine anyone who didn't like the first one liking this new one. I mean, there's there are there are so it's the same exact DNA. So yeah, it's a th- it's probably a three two two for me. I I, I didn't enjoy it, and I, I'm I've got no ambition to to revisit it on dvd or in the cinema and if i think respect to anyone who who likes it let's we can still be friends yeah i hated all of it try i mean camberley i really respect your opinion and so I, I i am kind of wondering whether i need to kind of revisit elements of this you know but yeah i'm i'm at a kind of two one one there was uh, I, I found very little joy in this aside from i would say quite like brendan cowell as the sort of dastardly mercenary who um kind of has no ethics whatsoever because i think he had the kind of campy fun that was missing from everybody else he was just so kind of appallingly earnest to me but yeah was he the whaler yes i liked him very much <laughs> he was awful like that little bit from jermaine clement was surreal as well <laughs> it's very this yeah. very straight laced like animal lover but he's stuck with these horrible uh i feel we could basically do an entire hour-long episode just on jermaine clement's character in that film and and the bizarre just everything about it every aspect of it is just why just why? <laughs> Ample stuff to explore in the upcoming Avatar 3, which they've already finished filming. <laughs> it's only going to get weirder. Just, I don't know, kind of wild that we get such a, a high budget and esoteric thing like this. <laughs> it's so strange. Yeah, we should uh, get onto some of your earlier choices back when James Cameron was way less weird. <laughs> First up, Terminator. You're listening to Truth in Movies. This episode is brought to you by Mubi, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. From iconic directors to emerging auteurs, there's always something new to discover on the platform. After being so devastated by After Sun, I wanted to switch gears into something hilarious and audacious, and the African Desperate from Martin Sims proved just the ticket. It's a piercing art world satire with a trippy, achingly cool aesthetic, and I couldn't recommend it enough. I'm currently catching up with Lars von Trier's cult show The Kingdom from the early 90s. Movie going into miniseries is huge, and The Kingdom Exodus is a must-watch event. If you've not seen the original series before, you can also stream newly restored versions of both seasons now on Mubi. The new series begins on November 27th, with new episodes premiering weekly all through to Christmas. With Mubi, each and every film is hand-selected by their dedicated team of curators. You can choose from an eclectic mix of timeless classics, award-winning masterpieces and festival fresh gems. It's like having your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Try Mubi free for 30 days at mubi.com slash LWLies. That's mubi.com slash LWLies for a whole month of great cinema for free. A human soldier is sent back from 2029 to 1984 to stop an almost indestructible cyborg killing machine sent from the same year, which has been programmed to execute a young woman whose unborn son is the key to humanity's future salvation. That's a single sentence, but that does actually (laughs) kind of sum up what is in retrospect 
maybe a much stranger premise than I had given it credit for. But David, this was your choice. Why did you want us to revisit Terminator? Well, I think because I I rewatched it very recently as a bit of Cameron due diligence ahead of knowing that I was going to be writing on Avatar 2. And, you know, to, for, for me, that's a, a, a pleasure, not a chore. You know, one of the great pieces of film casting in, in the history of cinema, Arnold Schwarzenegger as an emotional tundra cyborg killing machine can, cannot be beaten. Yeah, this is, this is just a kind of... I, th- I think this, this is an example of, like, early James Cameron who, who had kind of cut his teeth as a top sci-fi guy and was was you know his his kind of really early shorts you know he was really into kind of you know doing part real really kind of pathfinding special effects and trying to push the envelope in in that in that world yeah just just terminator really really does stand up as this kind of completely lean and mean film that does you know it does have this sort of slightly head spinning context where you have two people sent back from the post-nuclear future that has been destroyed by sentient machines that have killed that are on the uh, that have a kind of mandate to kill to, to wipe out humanity and sarah connor played by the great linda hamilton is the kind of emblem uh, she's the mother of the of the future rebel leader john connor and so yeah the, the idea is that Ar- arnie has been sent back to to kill her at a point when the rebels have have actually got the advantage and they have destroyed the the time machine that 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 brings them back so this is a one this is a one way journey for both him and michael bain's character who who also is great and crops up again in almost an an identical role in aliens but we can discuss it in a bit as kyle in this one but yeah he he it, it's it's just this kind of the, the the concept is so so beautifully simple of you, you know you have a killing machine he is monomaniacal relentless he's got one job it is the you had one job we had we've had okay boomer and now this is the you had one job and uh, and he literally has this one job to to uh, wipe out sarah connor and the film starts with him going through the fo- like both go through the phone book and look for the three Sarah Connors in the LA area. I always find it funny that it's the cradle of humanity is based in Los Angeles, and the future the future uh, of the human race dangles on the thread of Los Angeles downtown area. It's this in- just incredible story that somehow sits between a very schlocky action b movie that is it, it is like the Rolls Royce. It, it maybe it's, it's a it's a Rolls Royce engine in a in a kind of Datsun sunny, <laughs> you know, look, it's a B movie, but with the, with the parts of a Rolls Royce in it. It's, it's sorry that I, that, that metaphor was, was all over the shop. I'm sorry. I followed it. <laughs> yeah. But like, Oh, it's just pure pleasure. And it, and, and like, you know, I think that, that, that Cameron does enough explaining and adds enough context that you, you you know anything that you might pick apart of like well why didn't they do that why didn't they just go and kill John Connor and why didn't they just you know this doesn't make sense like I mean that you're so in the in the moment and you're so terrified at Schwarzenegger's T800 that you know no, nothing else matters and like final thing before I pass the buck the effects work I I would take the effects work in in Terminator over the Avatar films every day of the week. There is some stop. There is lots of stop motion animation. There is some incredible model work. There is some amazing matte paintings. Cameron himself is a is a matte pa- matte backdrop painter. Uh, I'm a, I assume that he did these himself. I mean, it's 
just like you know th- this is a film that has like the fingerprints of an artisan on it and with avatar you can't have digital fingerprints you can't like this is this is a film that is made to not look like it had those human hands on it and i and i just hate that you know i would take something that sort of you know it looks of its era but it just looks amazing the final sequence where the the the, the kind of metallic cyborg is chasing them through this this empty factory always an empty factory in a in a james cameron film that no one's ever working for some reason but um yeah it's it's oh glorious yeah it's it coming back to it i was just kind of so struck by how like conceptually perfect it is i mean like there's a whole uh, thing of the grandfather paradox whenever you come to like time travel movies and like i think this just wraps up like sci-fi concept with a kind of more like a sense of fate and spirit and a kind of higher purpose in like such a beautiful way but yeah cam are you equally a fan of terminator i like that we're not you know, full Cameron haters on here. Yeah, I, I love I love this one. Just it's got that very pure motivation as like a techno slasher. I remember reading that uh, James Cameron said this one came to him in a nightmare or something about a robot like made of kitchen knives or something like that. <laughs> but I, I just enjoy its purity. There's like a that fear of the Terminator's coming and you're going the other way. It's just the entire kind of motivation of the movie, which I just think is beautiful. And it does hold up effects wise like really well those um the stop motion models look incredible i love how it creates the sense of scale in the uh sort of skynet future with all of the things shot from below i think yeah it's an old favorite i haven't watched t2 in a really long time uh either so i was kind of glad to revisit this one first because it's just like a very foundational sort of uh, like the more grown-up sci-fi viewing experience for me like a very like old one that i love to see also a great schwarzenegger role I'd, I do love seeing him in the sort of goofier, uh, more personable roles where he's throwing out more jovial one-liners, but it's fun to see him as this sort of like emotionless, <laughs> just like where his size is wielded as more of a weapon rather than something to navigate around. Because a lot of the time when he's playing an everyman, he's just like, oh yes, here is the biggest, most perfect man ever made. <laughs> and he's like, just, he's just like, just Joe regular somewhere. Whereas here he's just like this perfectly, he, they're using that as him as the uh, perfectly sculpted killing machine. And that's has, that carries more of a kind of visceral believability to it than I guess a lot of the other roles, not, not a knock against Arnie because I do love him as a performer, but it is quite funny to think about how he auditioned as Carl Reese first. And they were like, no, like you're not going to be Carl Reese. And then I think they got him as the Terminator after that. Because I think he'd only done Hercules before this and he'd been dubbed. So, I mean, this was kind of, he's got so little dialogue in this, but kind of almost all of those lines. Of- he has a cameo in uh, Robert Altman's Long Goodbye. Really? Huh. Yeah, he's he's like a henchman in that. And he, his only role, his only job is to like take his clothes off. Sure. Um, he'd been in um, Conan the Destroyer before this. Which case I stand correct. <laughs> they were released around the same time, so I think it, that would it would have been like just before the Terminator. But it is strange to think now because, like, obviously Schwarzenegger has kind of become like a lovable pop culture figure. But also, what's happened to the Terminator franchise? It is begotten bizarre. Did you watch the last couple? Um, I did not watch Dark Fate or Genesis uh, with that insane spelling. The most recent Terminator film I watched was the fourth one, where it's uh, Christian Bale as John mm. Connor. I don't remember anything about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, that's the last one I saw, the McG one. It was McG. 
God. Well, I mean, we'll we'll still always have this one. Yeah, the, I I did see the Genesis one where it's micro robots and Daenerys from Game of Thrones, and they kind of act that oh, robots age now, which is just oh God. The almighty dollar and its pursuit in Hollywood. What a shame. You're, you're, you're selling this to me, Layla, actually. Uh, I, I'm, I'm like, hmm. There was that spin-off TV show, which I think people genuinely stand by, the um, Sarah Connor Chronicles, where it's um, Lena Headey, another Game of Thrones uh, and, person. And of Dread. And of Dread, <laughs> oh, um, playing time. Sarah Connor. I think it's a lot of post-T2 stuff with her and uh, John on the run. I think it's um, Summer Glau, one of the cast of Firefly slash Serenity as a Terminator, but I can't remember what kind of role she serves. But that's just like, I think that was like maybe the one good thing to come out post two. Yeah. Well, you, you did sell me on Summer Glau. I might have to give that a bit of a look-see. I need to give it a look myself, actually. <laughs> yeah, but we should move on to Cameron's later film, Aliens. Fifty-seven years after surviving an attack aboard her space vessel by merciless space creatures, Officer Ripley awakens from hypersleep and tries to warn anyone who will listen about the Predators. Although she is ignored at first, when contact with colonists on a planet thought safe is suddenly lost, Ripley and her military team are sent to confront the aliens. So, Camberley, this was your choice. Why did you go with aliens? Just but it's one of my favourite American blockbusters of all time. I love the first Alien. I remember watching these ones at home when I was still in secondary school. Even just with Aliens, I remember I was watching it in my living room and my dad walks in and he just see he just sees the alien. He just looks at me, just turns around and walks straight out of the room. <laughs> and then he explains to me later and he's just like, those those things, he's just like, I cannot look at them. They terrify me. <laughs> Which I think is so fascinating that Cameron manages to keep that element of terror even as he has the space marines like blasting them to bits with pulse rifles but yeah i i love it and how it takes such a different tack both in narrative and just in its general kind of aesthetic construction to the scar alien it's very it's not it's very much not just alien again even as the amazing anecdote goes for the choosing of the title of the movie that james cameron supposedly walked into an executive boardroom and wrote alien and then just added a little dollar sign at the end. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is the the kind of, uh, as the legend goes. But I do think it's got a lot more going on than that, uh, in that it kind of supplants all of these kind of Vietnam War sort of signifiers into this sort of space colonial plot. Like you've got all the, the sort of like jarheads with their um, slogans written onto their guns, like Vasquez has got the massive machine gun that says Adios on the side. And like that sort of all that kind of jingoistic stuff and then it, and then it, of course he just flips it back into being another slasher movie <laughs> where everyone just gets get torn to pieces. And again, there's it's a thing of like um, a lot of practical effects still standing the test of time. The, a lot of the model work in this is really great. I love all the guys in costumes with the alien thing. I think it's very interesting how it kind of swaps out um, H.R. Geiger's more sort of biomechanical look to the structures because it's all been supplanted by this human colony stuff and you've obviously got Sid Mead doing the concept design on it so it's got all of this sort of it, it he's they've taken this sort of futurist look that he's kind of known for and dirtied it up uh, in a very compelling way I think just seeing these kind of like utopian structures just run down and all just like soaking and melted and things like that I, I just thought it's so it's so kind of immersive and terrifying and then I've got of course you've got this very personable squad of marines soon to be torn apart like tissue paper so there's a lot to love 
Yeah, that Geiger design is, is is so astonishing. If you ever have a chance, I would so strongly recommend going to, I believe it's the town of Gruyere I went to in Switzerland, where you there's the HR Geiger Museum and you get to see all of the design of the aliens and all the original concept art. And then you can have a fondue. It's like the best day ever. <laughs> Alien fondue. Oh, oh, could be better. <laughs> <laughs> But um, yeah, so this is, it's a kind of crazy to think of this alien kind of franchise that we've got Ridley Scott's version, James Cameron version, and then Fincher. Like, David, do you have a particular fave of them? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it is very funny that like, yeah, you've got these uh, double franchises that have lots of like post spin-offs, all of which are, I think, terrible. Post Terminators and the post, the, the sort of post aliens, like, after that second one i mean the, the 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 fincher one is like half good i think and then it then then things get awful i, I cannot abide any of the kind of prometheus movies um i quite liked resurrection if i'm honest yeah i do love the ridley scott original probably as the as the best uh alien movie and in, in i i kind of like the gothic aspect of the of of, of that first film which you is supplanted by the kind of action aspect of the second but you know, it's James Cameron doing doing James Cameron to to a T. You know, it's uh, the, the the kind of setting up the meat grinder and then like feeding in the the Marines is like just chef's kiss. And you know, it, I I th- I mean, it's, I think it's interesting what you were saying earlier about like his his issues with female characters because um because I think that you know he 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 sort of add, he does add this level of ferocity to 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 Ripley in this film that she that was maybe I think she was a more fragile character in the fir- in the in the first Alien movie with Rid- the Ridley Scott one, uh, and this one she really shows that she has the kind of you know there is a sort of action hero aspect to her her as well. But I think I've just felt like I, I mean I couldn't help but feel like some of the sort of sentimental stuff in the new Avatar film especially involving the kids the se- the sequence where with, with the stuff with newt i think newt is 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 such i think it's such an interesting and you know well-earned sentimental character that isn't just a kind of like chess piece in the film like the stuff where she's talking about the bad dreams and the stuff where she's caught, caught in the room with the with the face hugger a really kind of like you know that's heart palpitation inducing stuff whereas like you know sorry to to sort of like add an add another like couple of shots into into the avatar corpse i feel with both of these films you're seeing like a superior version of of james cameron maybe when he had a little bit more you know he was on on a bit more of a sort of studio leash i, I don't know how much independence he had but you know yeah i, I suspect he probably did but like the the thing the, the thing that i also love about this movie and i think it's probably the ultimate example of this is is his kind of multi his kind of layer cake ending where you kind of you have one ending, then you have another ending, then you have another ending. I think a lot of films have attempted that and fa- and failed miserably. And I think that that this is maybe one of the great examples of like, do you thought the alien was dead? Well, actually, there's there's a, there's a, we got another little bit to give you. It's um, funny how yeah, closely the, tied his work is to like the kind of tradition of the slasher movie in that regard. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean it feels like he's taking the, the what what is quite a sort of like very technical formal thing of like we're just going to give you one more boo for the road and actually building something quite operatic out of it. That that aspect of him I I love. You know, as I'm saying with Terminator, he's taking the the sort of primordial ooze of the B movie and making these like beautiful sculptures with it. 
that's that's why that's why i always love him despite everything regarding the mother's thing i mean there's definitely genuine like ground being broken with what where he went with sarah connor and with ripley but i wonder if it's just the case of with avatar where it's like him doing this same kind of intonation of that kind of character again just doesn't feel new anymore Mm. But, and this is coming from someone who really, really likes everyone in that movie, and maybe with the exception of that kid Spider. Regarding Newt, I really like that character less as like a surrogate daughter for Ripley than as maybe like a mirroring of how she's feeling in the wake of the last alien, where you have this like Sigourney Weaver playing really well, this like sort of PTSD for the character and uh, her talking about Newt. With, like, I think you already said about um, them dream, like being unable to dream or something like that. And then you have that mm-hmm. sort of dual confrontation, like where she's saving herself as she's saving herself as much as she's saving Newt in killing the hell out of the alien queen. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think like there's, there's definitely stuff in aliens where I'm just like, ah, like fine. And that's mostly mm-hmm. to do with Newt as the kind of surrogate daughter, but everything else works so great. I do love the kind of repetition of the Wayland yutani Corporation just being like, yeah, we just got to get one of these aliens for ourselves. And like the kind of the just bean counter. Need. <laughs> I, la- last thing I would say is I, I do think it's very funny that after this whole epic thing of saving Newt in the second film, the first thing David Fincher does is like, oh yeah, she just died on the way. <laughs> Sorry. <kids>. So horrible. <laughs> it's so mean. Brutal it's um yeah it's interesting the whole i know lots of people do did take issue with like funny you you take ripley who is already someone we care about and you kind of make her motivations all based around motherhood and and i watched a couple of deleted scenes and there was one where ripley comes back to you know she speaks to people on earth and it turns out she had an 11 year old daughter who has in the 57 years of hypersleep died like maybe two years ago and it's interesting that Cameron took that out like that there was a sense about like no we don't need to kind of double mother but it's like when you get then around to like Avatar it's just like no maternal instincts for everyone you get a child and you get a child I wonder um I haven't watched the director's cut in a while because I watched the theatrical when I rewatched this and I wonder how I'm just like now curious to see how that context would play with me like kind of in the moment because I, I already knew that she had a mom. There's a whole video game based on the from the perspective of Ripley's daughter called Alien Isolation, where it's like she follows, she goes into space after her mother and gets ambushed by the alien because I think she goes back to the big industry vessel from the first one. It's meant to be very fun. I've never played it because I'm a coward. God, what upsetting news for poor Ripley to find out. Not only is her daughter dead, but she also had some traumatic experience with like, <laughs> It's literally the exact same thing. Good Lord. If you've got thoughts on these films, you can email truthandmovies at tcolondon.com or tweet us at LWLies. Next week, it's a special Christmas edition of Truth and Movies where we'll be looking back at the very best films of the year with the Little White Lies team. Thanks very much for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Truth and Movies is hosted by me, Leila Latif, and my guest this week with David Jenkins and Campbell A. Campbell. The podcast is produced by TCO London and edited by Bob Stankus. 